Hey, welcome to the Jacob's Well Podcast. This week we are on week two of our series, Read Through Luke. I'm Joshua Scoyne. I am here with Paul Berthium. And this week we are going into chapter three of the Gospel of Luke. Thanks for listening in. Okay, so we find ourselves at the end of chapter two. If you're reading along at home, we are at uh, verse 39. And in the words of Roxanne, they lost the Messiah. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine? You'd feel pretty low. You would. You know, you had one job. One job, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> raised the Messiah, and you lost him in Jerusalem. It's it's funny, isn't it? I mean, one of the things that struck me so much about listening to Roxanne's message, which I thought was so powerful, um, was just the reality we don't realize, we don't think a lot of th- about, um, that Jesus had to grow up. Yeah. And he had to figure this stuff out. You know, that at some point he had to look at the Passover, like Roxanne was saying, and saying, huh, that. It's about me. And, you know, one of the things that we don't realize is that, you know, Jesus wasn't like the only person to be crucified. He was one of thousands and tens of thousands of people who've been crucified. It was a common way of control and execution and terror that the Romans used to keep people in order. And so he would have grown up walking by crosses. And you just wonder if there wasn't a moment Hmm. where, you know, however that worked out, where he came of age, he came to understanding, he saw the revelation, he realized the spirit discerned whatever, that he looked at that and he said, wow, okay, that's, right. that's the cup that's placed before me. Wow. I mean... Um, yeah, and I think it's, it goes into the whole conversation about the fact that Jesus is fully God, 100%, yep. Yep. and fully man, yep. 100%. And so trying to even imagine how that works for someone, you know, even even at his birth up through his early childhood years, yeah. you know, fascinating. Well, and that, that's actually one of the cool things about Luke's gospel. He really leans into the humanity of Jesus, and this is just an example of it. So he has a very human Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't seem to know everything, a Jesus who has to ask questions, a Jesus mm-hmm. who is very limited of it by what it means to be enfleshed, you know, incarnate. And uh, he has to live with the pain and the the difficulties. I mean, just classic questions. Roxanne touched again on some of it. Did Jesus have acne? Was he ever nervous around yeah. girls? I mean, how does all that work? And uh, a lot of mystery in that. We get just this little incredible glimpse in, uh, in uh, again, in um, Luke's gospel, which again makes it seem like maybe he had an inside track that he actually got to talk to Mary and he got some of these, these stories that only he has. Right. It's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool section of well, scripture. And it reminds me as we're talking about the incarnation, this idea, you know, we talk about the Trinity we talk about the fact that Jesus didn't just show up on the scene at Christmas, right. that he's eternal. Right. He's always been with the father and with yep. the Holy spirit. Yep. But then that really awesome idea that for all eternity, he'd experienced all of that glory yes. and all of that power and all yes. of that omnipotence. And then he, you know, had to make a conscious choice right. to humble himself in such an incredible way. Yeah, Philippians, he became nothing. Right. Taking on the, na- he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. And and again, Hebrews talks about him being able to relate with our weakness, right? Because he has been tempted in every way. He knows what it is to be hungry, afraid, cold, lonely, you know, uh, you know, there's evidence, you know, in terms of even what Jesus experienced in the garden of, true deep anxiety panic attack kind of you know stuff he lived all that and if he had that experience and none of that is weakness or sin or a bear a a point of shame it makes our humanity a lot easier to live with you know so awesome well let's get into the text for today you bet you bet 
Well, again, let me just say this. What an incredible message Roxanne gave this weekend. What an incredible team we have across the board, you know, up and down the hallway. Um, God has just given us an incredible staff team, but just especially our family team. I, I've said to so many people over the years, this is a great church for a kid to grow up in. This yeah. is a great church for families, not just because we do great, incredible teaching, entertaining, powerful, life-changing stuff down there in the children's wing that the, the kids love to come. They drag their parents to church, you know, <laughs> but, but we come alongside parents. It, there really are very few people in our region who are better experts on age development and coming of age and what that looks like and what's normal and what's weird than the people who are on our staff, especially Roxanne and Erica and up and down that hallway. Just just the obvious things that there's a huge difference, right, between a 7-year-old and a 13-year-old yeah. and a 17-year-old and a 25-year-old and that there are normal things going on. And so parents freaking out can come in and get encouragement, training, resourced, um, you know, we walk with folks as they're taking those, those those steps in parenting and single parenting, you know, second marriages, blended families, all of that. It's pretty cool. So I, I just, I just again, hearing her teach with such wisdom and insight, it just made me, again, so grateful for the team we have up and down the hall. Well, youth department, I mean, is absolutely powerful. And um, what a gift to this community and the people of our church. So Amen. I'm blown away. I'm just blown away by it. So this text, uh, it actually takes starts uh, at the end of uh, chapter 2, where we get this just little glimpse of Jesus going up into the temple, and Roxanne did a lot of the background of why they would be going up, what the ritual was, the commitment, and this, the reality of Jesus participating in the festivals and the feasts and reading the prophecies that ultimately were about him, and him having to come, come of age. And in this passage particularly, I just love... Because there's just so much of the wisdom of God, right? Um, and you see um, the wisdom of growing up well in Jesus. I, I, You know, it should just stop us in our tracks when we read, like in verse 45 of chapter 2. It said, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And three days they found him in the temple. Three long days. Look at this. Sitting among the teachers. That's a position of humility. That is a position of putting yourself around the best and the smartest. That is a position of learning. That is a self-feeder. And look what it said. It said he was listening to them. And so this is the God of all creation listening, having to, to and then asking questions. Mm -hmm. And um, just a beautiful, beautiful picture of humility, of coming of age, um, of what it means to be a mature and growing person. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers, because being good teachers, and this would have been the dialogue at that time, very often they would answer a question with a question and let people struggle to find their own question, own answers to their questions. That's just a good parenting little nugget hidden in there that he's asking questions, answering questions, wondering, and people were amazed at the insight. And uh, I love the fact in verse 49 uh, he said to them, his, his parents said to him, uh, he said to his parents, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And so, you know, we know Jesus wasn't being rebellious or disobedient, but he was clueless. He was a typical <laughs> teenager, right? So so one of the things always helps me when I, I learn this lesson, having raised teenagers, is when they do stuff like this, they're not trying to be mean. They're not trying to be difficult. They really just don't get it. They don't realize how vulnerable you are as a parent, how scared you are as a parent, and when they do the things to assert their independence, which is natural, appropriate, healthy, where they do this thing called differentiation, where they're basically saying inside, I'm not you, 
I don't really know who I am yet, but I, I have to kind of separate from you as parents to figure out who I am. That is an incredibly normal and healthy thing to do. And for parents to not freak out or try to control them or not to treat them like they're kids anymore. How many kids have said to parents, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not a, I can do it yeah. myself. And for parents just to say, okay, breathe deeply. I'm going to let them go out into the scary world more and more and, uh, and become to see this happening with Jesus in real time and then see Mary, that wonderful term. She treasured these things up in her heart that she saw them and she saw the beauty of them and the power of them. Um, and, uh, that it's just a it's just a very very cool passage of scripture about coming of age. I've had so many conversations with the parents who come in, talk to me or myself, or me or Roxanne and myself, and and they're just saying, you know, they're just my kid was just this incredible, warm. They love Jesus. How, how old are they? Were they were eight? Well, yeah, that that's a stage actually called the compliant years. Yeah, and now they're thirteen, and they just seem like they're drifting away. And just to say to them. That is supposed to happen. That's okay. You actually want that to happen. It's natural. It's good. And for a while, they may seem like they're closer to other people and other strangers. That's good too, actually. But they'll come back around. Don't freak out. Don't try to control it. Um, but treasure in your heart because um, you want them to to know who they are, know God, who God is. It's just a great passage of scripture. There, yeah. there are layers of meaning in this. And when we're dealing with with our teenagers, just as like a as a piece of advice, when when they're going from that point of compliancy and, right. and faith is almost easy at that point. Yeah. It's easy for them to whatever I hear from someone I respect, cool. Yep. All right, that yep. is a concrete thing. I believe that they kind of reach that twelve, thirteen. They start asking those questions. Yeah. But something we always saw when I was a student pastor here is it's just we want our kids to to own it for themselves. Right. And they need to get to that point. Yep. They can't do it because it's their parents' faith or yep. because it's their youth pastor's faith. Yep. yep. Well, and they'll say things. You know, kids are learning how to be adults and express things, and they're not very good at it when they're young. So they'll overstate things. They'll say, I don't even know if I believe in God or the Bible's stupid or, or you know, all kinds of things like this. And parents will go into freak-out mode. Right. But it's all right. Just stay calm, you know, Um don't ever be afraid of their questions. Don't ever create an environment where kids can't ask questions about anything and everything, you know, where they can question you, where they can question the Bible, they can question church. Let them process that kind of stuff. Jesus did it. And so to create that safe environment is, man, it's just so good. The, the, again, one of the things I've said to parents so many times is that the Bible encourages childlike faith, but it doesn't encourage childish faith. Mm-hmm. And the faith that was adequate for an eight-year-old is no longer adequate for a 13-year-old. The world is complicated. There's big questions. There's evil and there's other religions and there's all kinds of questions that they're going to get confronted with. There's good people they'll meet in their schools who don't seem to be followers of Jesus. And yeah. they got to make sense of that. And then it just gets more complicated. And if you are going to shield them and hide them or not answer those questions until they're like in college you're really setting them up to be very vulnerable to a lot of things that can just blow them away. So um, creating a safe place for them to figure these things out, just super, super important. And nice. Yeah. So I, I, this, I just think this is, a, this is a multi-layered passage of wisdom. You know, it's, it speaks wisdom to parents. It speaks wisdom, you know, to just a mature, growing person in the example of Jesus. If, 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 if one of our students is listening to this, or I hope some of our students are listening to this, Here's a model for you. You know, take a position of sitting. Learn to ask good questions. Learn to listen. Be a learner. Um, most most of the world wants to posture themselves in such a way that I'm going to tell you everything I know. 
Jesus didn't do that. He came in and said, I'm going to ask questions about what I don't know. And just that incredible, you know, principle. He said it in another place. He said, ask, seek, and knock. Be the person who asks questions, who seeks for information, who knocks, who digs in and leans into the things that I haven't experienced, I don't know. It's a position of humility. It's admitting what is blindingly obvious, right? I just don't know most things. (laughs) And so to go in this sitting posture position, just beautiful. And again, it culminates in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he grew in terms of practically living out the truth of God. That's wisdom. And in stature, is it, it can be physical stature, but it also just, um, he filled in the space of his role. That is to say, he grew up into it. So it's basically saying he grew up. And he, he grew in grace or favor um, with God. God was pleased. And people were just impressed with him because of the person he became. It's just... It's a, it's a beautiful vision for, for becoming, for growing, for coming of age. And again, it's just, it should just blow our mind that Jesus had to go through this. Yeah. You know, he stepped into this. Um, and there, there must've been times when he figured things out that he was just terrified. He said, hmm. what? I'm the Messiah. At some point hmm. he had to figure out I'm the Messiah. What? I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. So pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. Then we've got a time skip. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. Uh, you blink and then, uh, I don't know what, uh, 15 years later, 20 yeah, years 20, later, something yeah. like that, uh, John the Baptist pops on the scene and uh, um, Luke's handling of John the Baptist, we're going to see him here and then we're going to see him uh, um, uh, later on. We get a lot about John the Baptist and just who he is in the rest of chapter three. John is just a glorious character. I encourage you to read that passage and to dig into it, uh, listen to it on um, on one of the different services that read the Bible to you as you're you're driving your car. And the thing you're going to find out about John, the Men of Influence groups just finished a, a study on on the life of John the Baptist. Was um, he's just a character guy? I mean, he's a guy who does the right things. He's fearless. And, he, and he's kind of like the opening act for Jesus. Like when you go to a concert, they have an opening act mm-hmm. and they warm up the crowd. John the Baptist, a revival is going on when Jesus shows up. Right. The cool thing about John's is that John didn't get to do a single miracle. I mean, there's, mm. it, it intentionally did not get to do miracles so that when Jesus came, they would recognize Jesus is the Messiah and not John. John just had the force of conviction, the ability to preach, calling people to great things. And he didn't he didn't run in Jerusalem. He was out in the wilderness and people came to him. And then, then there's that wonderful part. You'll see it later in Luke where, where you'll read about him saying, you know, his disciples came and said, boy, people are trying to follow this Jesus. He said, listen, listen, this is what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to decrease. He's supposed to increase so much wisdom in that, that that's a parenting principle, by the way, right? That's a leadership principle, a discipleship principle, that the win is where people who you are given charge to invest in become greater than you that they increase and you decrease, um, that's greatness. Jesus is going to go on later in Luke. This is a credible story where, where John ends up in prison, right? And uh, he sends messages. He sends a couple of disciples to Jesus, and they said, he said, no, again, John's the one you'll read in the passage from chapter 3 who heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son whom I yeah. love. With him I'm well pleased. So now John's in prison. You know, I don't imagine a Judean prison is a fun place. And he's, he's thinking, I didn't think I was going to end up here. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to show up. And he, he sends messengers to Jesus and he says, are you the one or should we expect someone else? 
Now, if I would have been Jesus, I would have said, well, you heard the voice, duh. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't. <laughs> he he goes back and he basically quotes the Old Testament and says to Jesus, says to John, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. But then he goes on and says these incredible things about John, saying, you know, what did you go in the wilderness to see? Did you see go to see a man in a fancy palace? Did you go up to see a great leader? No. You saw someone who's like a, do you see someone like who is a, 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 a reed blowing in the wind? No, you came to see a prophet, the prophet of God. And he says, there's just not, there's not no one greater born among men than John. So, so John's an incredible character and you get introduced to him in chapter three and there's a fair amount there, just even in terms of how he responded when people came, when the Pharisees came or the people came, he warned them. When people asked him, you know, what should I do in this situation and that situation, you'll read about it. He basically said, just do the right thing, do the character thing, do the God thing. And how all of this was meant to prepare the way for Jesus. And this is kind of interesting because you had mentioned, and I hadn't really thought about this, that John in his ministry, he never did miracles. No. We didn't see that. And something that immediately hits my brain then is um, he was prophesied about right. as as Elijah. Right. right. <laughs> as Elijah coming. And, and you think about characters in the Bible, almost no one stands out to me as strong as Elijah, right. as incredibly powerful right. miracles and signs and right. wonders. Right. And then you get this guy, John the Baptist, who is this fulfillment of this prophecy. Yep. Comes in the spirit of Elijah. Yeah. yeah, but he does it in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. He comes with the message of Elijah, which is, you know, a baptism of repentance. There's so many cool things about John. John, John came baptizing. So the thing that is important about baptism is that before John the Baptist, and then, of course, Jesus took this up, but before John the Baptist, baptism was only meant for Gentiles who were converting into oh. Judaism. And so the whole idea was that if you were a Gentile, you went through this ritual washing ceremony, part of the Essene rituals, and then you were baptized, and then you became part of the Jewish faith. John came along, he's baptizing Jews. He was saying, we all need to be baptized. We all need to repent. We all need to enter into the real kingdom of God, because one is coming. He said, I baptize with water, but one's coming to baptize with fire. You just need to get ready. And so it was this, again, in the spirit of Luke, this leveling of the playing field that all of us are poor, all of us are captives, all of us are are marginalized in some way, and, and the cross puts us at equal footing. And so, again, it all fits, again, with the big themes of, of Luke, um, that, that John coming and um, baptizing in this way sets it all up. It's very, very, very cool. Uh, chapter 3 ends with the genealogy of Jesus. And if you've ever wondered why those genealogies are there, one is it's just a way of saying, hey, this stuff really happened. These were real people in real time. Genealogies are fascinating. They're famous people in these genealogies. They're obscure people. There's some people know nothing about. Um, but the genealogies are basically meant to say, um, you know, the prophecies that started with Abraham, Adam and Eve fulfilled in Jesus. The ones that came about Moses, those came through um, those, those the, the ones Moses made about the Messiah, those were filled in Jesus. The promises to, to Joseph, those are Jesus. The promises to Judah, the promises to um, David, that you know, not only will you be king, but someone from your bloodline will sit on David's throne forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, and the genealogy is connects those dots. Mm. And so you don't have as long or detailed genealogy, which makes sense because Luke has a different audience, other than Luke really wants his more Gentile reading audience to say, to understand, you know, Jesus didn't just show up. He came out of this rich history, this long 
take off to mm-hmm. boom, Messiah is here. And uh, yeah, so it, it kind of this sets up the whole um, the whole life and ministry of Jesus. And so you get this this teen Jesus, then you get the baptism of Jesus, you get some stuff on John the Baptist, you get the genealogy, which again builds the credibility of Jesus. And then next week we're going to see that Jesus comes right out of the waters of baptism, and he's going to face uh, temptation. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to go home and face rejection. And then he's going to start uh, facing demonic oppression, and um, so we're going to see that um, that you know so- sometimes we think we're going to follow Jesus and get out of the water baptisms, and it's just going to be oh, everything's awesome now. That wasn't Jesus's experience. Jesus's experience was, you know, uh, you know, baptism, and then it says, and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And then, of course, what it would meant to be rejected in Nazareth. And then, again, you have these stories of demons harassing him. So there's a spiritual battle going on that Jesus is engaging in. So it's just, it's just an awesome, awesome passage of Scripture. Thank you guys so much for listening in this week. Remember to reach back out next week. We're going to be going into Chapter 4. We'll see you later.